Hey, this is Sam Bartholomeus, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Welcome to Decorating the Set, from Hollywood to your home, with your hosts, Beth Kushnick and Caroline Daly. Welcome to Season 3 finale of Decorating the Set, from Hollywood to your home. Hey, Beth. Hey, I can't believe we're here in Season 3, and it's our finale episode. I think I'm going to be a little emotional today. (laughs) (laughs) It's always so difficult to do finales, whether it's a series that we're wrapping up or this awesome podcast that we're doing with you, Beth, where we get to get all the tips and tricks for our home. Because I always feel this sense of withdrawal. Like, I'm like, but where will I get my creativity? I know. I'm going to miss you so much. (laughs) I'm going to miss you. I love us getting to talk. I know. But we're coming back for season four. So we're going to be better than ever. Absolutely. Y'all absolutely go back and listen to the catalog of different podcasts from wherever you listen to your podcast from because there's so many great tips. This week, however, in our finale, it features a look at season two of Epic's original series, Bridge and Tunnel, which premieres on Sunday, July 10th, only on Epic's. Beth and I are going to talk about her work on the show, as well as bring you interviews from Bridge and Tunnel's costume designer, Rosemary LaPree Foreman, and series co-star Sam Bartholomeos. Both interviews were fantastic. Everybody's going to get a lot out of our deep dive with Rosemary and Sam. I am really interested in knowing more about prepping season two for a show. We've talked about starting a show. We've talked about ending a show. As shows evolve, there must be a lot of changes that go on. What is it like to revisit those old sets and having to freshen things up from season one? For this particular show, because COVID protocols lightened up a little bit, we did take the show on the road and we went through that tunnel and over that bridge and came to Manhattan. So we had both the task of reestablishing many sets, which we were so lucky that the exact same homeowners uh, and location owners agreed to have us back, which I'm going to take a little credit for as a testament to my of my crew's work and how well we treated the locations to restore them. You know, we were working hard to both reestablish and to create new at the same time. These days in film and television, with especially with episodic television, you know, it, it long gone are the days of 22 episodes a season. So that would be just, we would clean up and cover up our uh, precious sets and walk away for a month or two and come back. But now we're all in the habit of literally packing everything up, putting it in a storage space or a trailer. There is a lot of detailed busy work to unearth it all and reestablish it. Uh, We do that with uh, the help of a lot of photographs and a lot of really detail-oriented set dressers. 
I love that, Beth. You know, that's something that even my mom does because my kids help her do her decorating seasonally. So before she takes it down each year, she'll take a picture of all of it yeah. and they put it all away. And then she can just give that picture exactly to the kids and they can recreate it. Get those little guys involved, you guys. They can work at home too. It's true. You know, it's it's a, a, a very good directed task to say, look at this photograph and reproduce it. Now for us, you know, we have certain elements that are rented. You know, that becomes another aspect of putting the whole show back together because inevitably something is not available again. Maybe it's on another TV show or movie. Those are the stumbling blocks you run into during prep to literally plug back in everything that we had the season before. Once you get into the routine of it, it works really well. So in this particular show, Bridge and Tunnel, you have a period piece here. You have to actually think about the style of the time. So what was the the changes in the styles that went from season one to season two? And what was sort of your go-to style for season two? Well, for season two, it was really about creating these two new sets, both in New York. So they were a little, I think, grittier for sure, even our exteriors weren't the idyllic green grass and uh, backyard house-to-house scenario. I mean, we shot that, but, you know, we were kind of on the streets of the city. Mostly, I think my go-to way to portray the period was through fabric, because in this uh, Jill and Stacy's loft, we did a lot with fabrics and um, kind of sectioned off walls and thought about fabrics a lot with a couple of upholstered pieces. There are some items, as you'll hear Rose talk about in terms of fashion, denim and plaid, and there are some things that immediately read the period. For me, it's uh, certain prints uh, of the 70s and early 80s, rattan, any kind of wicker or rattan pieces. We did a lot with plants. We did a lot with macrame. These are things that are so readily available in reproduction form now at every price point that you can have this vibe in your home easily. Absolutely. The macrame display was set up at my grocery store. So they are encouraging us all over the place to get the that same look in our own home. Listeners, now we have a special treat for you guys. We have Bridge and Tunnels cost designer Rosemary LaPree Foreman, who's going to join us here for an interview. So stay tuned. Joining us today for our special Bridge and Tunnel Season 2 edition of Decorating the Set is Bridge and Tunnel's costume designer, Rosemary LaPree Foreman. Rosemary, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We didn't get to talk to you during Season 1. You've been with the show for both seasons. So let's do a little bit of like how it all started kind of thing. Talk to us a little bit about how the costume designer helps set the tone for the show, especially a period piece like Bridge and Tunnel. I guess it started out with Eddie, the director. You know, he... he gave me some ideas, um, trying to keep it more like late seventies, which I love anyway. I kind of spun it off that, you know, more on the casual side, I started doing my boards and then, you know, him and I would just collaborate that way with every character. You know, I just kind of wanted the clothes, if it makes any sense to go away, like I didn't want it to make it so on the nose for an eighties piece. Which was really an interesting 
crossover of how the wardrobe and the set decoration did the same. You know, we were tasked with portraying real characters, real life people. This was something really important to Eddie to, you know, let their beings shine through, you know. So Mm -hmm. we did the same thing. We didn't overdo it. I mean, in, in our backgrounds and the set decoration, you know, he picked out so many of these great bands and you know identified each character with musical memories and stuff but I was so struck um, in season one just of Rose's boards because we put together these lookbooks and they were so subtle um, you know kind of in this muted palette that we were all working in even with our director of photography it just was an immediate read of the period which really worked for both seasons well one of the first things i did was immediately went to my parents house and looked at all the old photo albums from (laughs) the time (laughs) and i just screenshot a ton of photos and you know because it's real i mean i would call my cousins i'd say send me any picture that you know when you were in high school i want them all (laughs) there's so much of long island that it's still in 2022 looks like it did in 1980 1981 i grew up in queens i mean it's one of those areas of the country that just has changed but also hasn't changed there's a lot of living rooms that still look like they did back in 1980 well you know michael that is exactly how we were actually able to shoot especially in season one in covid you know this is one of the only shows that i've done that was so heavily based on locations, even if it was a complete dress from the the floor up, you know, both from a budgetary standpoint, but also from a time and a COVID standpoint, we literally tapped into a neighborhood that we shot for both seasons in where homeowner after homeowner said, have at it, take our late 70s, early 80s home, do whatever you want with it. We were even, you know, borrowing from one neighbor and dressing their stuff into another neighbor's home. It was a really interesting collaboration because in in all actuality, Rose and I, we didn't spend a lot of time together at all. I mean, no. we, we spent time on Zooms. I think we kind of proved to ourselves that we could work this way under these COVID protocols. Under uh, normal circumstances, I would interact with the costume designer, with the actors, with the director, much more face-to-face. We still developed this really great communication and collaboration. It was a, a really um, positive thing that came out of being forced, you know, because of COVID and just how we were shooting this in these small houses to work was really interesting. And, you know, again, what you're saying is true. Those places exist and we just tapped into the, you know, the architecture of them. 
Mm -hmm. a question for both of you really Uh, talk about a little bit about the relationship between the costume designer and the set decorator and is it heightened when you're doing a period show i mean it's one thing doing a show set in modern times where everything can look just like it looks everywhere talk about that relationship generally and then also in a in a period show that is so specific of a time is that collaboration even more heightened does it need to be to, to be on the same page i mean i would think definitely you know one of the things i always do you know you want to see all the rooms you want to know what the colors are that helps you know with making sure the aesthetic all looks you know combined together and you know beth i think we did a pretty good job with you know all the bedrooms especially in the kitchens i mean i think it looked great yeah i mean i personally do find that uh the collaboration for me touches on whether it's period or contemporary a few things uh you know you don't want to hand a costume designer a you know a room with set decoration that fights what their concept is so color and skin tone come into play in a in a very big way but uh you know there are even things that are considered crossover you know sometimes when characters are in bed uh the sheets end up becoming mm-hmm. the wardrobe <laughs> we could say that about some of the scenes in in both seasons of this show and you know so then we do engage a lot with each other, whether it's me consulting with them or, uh, you know, getting extra, you know, extra linens so they can really put together a, literally an article of clothing made out of a sheet. But I, I believe that on the period level, the collaboration is, you know, much, much more important. Even when in season one, we were in the diner, you know, to consider the whole look of the diner and then the color of the uniforms you know Mm -hmm. uh, both of our uh inputs kind of meld together and you know that's the way that we were able to give eddie like a, a very not monotone um or monochromatic but you know like a unified look I do think it goes back to this interesting concept of even though we're both creating character with our work, when you're doing real people and when you're doing, I think, even younger people or a time period, what I hear so much from fans about Bridge and Tunnel is, you know, it just like brings them back um, mm-hmm. to that time period in their life. And 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 for me, I'm, you know, age appropriate for the exact year and time that we were working in, I pulled out my own high school pictures. And I think that's what motivated us as well to not do anything that specifically stands out in the period, but just a whole general vibe. That's what the whole show was. I think, you know, that's how Eddie pushed the actors and it was what pushed and drove the locations and shooting on Long Island. And then in season two, you know, coming to the big city, that was a a big thing for all these bridge and tunnel kids. Yeah, I definitely think that you'll notice a major difference with the clothing in season one. And then when everybody gets to come to the city, I elevated everybody a little bit more, not so much Jimmy, Sam's character, Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, I would say season one definitely has the color scheme was a little more. Um, there's more like I call it sad plaids, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like yellows and greens and browns. And there was one movie that Eddie mentioned for Sam, uh, Jimmy's character. It's called Breaking Away with Dennis Quaid. If you watch any of that, it's like basically it's Jimmy. That's like his, you know, the t-shirts and the jeans and wore the same thing almost, you know, every day. <laughs> that was a great movie to work from. We we did, I think, also in our communication on Zoom and stuff, we did get a lot of film references from Eddie mm -hmm. and again, yeah, musical references. Sure. And that's how we did this initial character development and and then what what we found in in designing these bedrooms especially is that we stuck really tightly to each character's kind of palette and they didn't cross over you know one was kind of purple and turquoise and jimmy's was more wood paneling and uh you know navy blue and more masculine and that's like a real undertone of how costume design and set decoration come together and do these like layered looks of telling the story. And then to me, the other interesting part of it is this whole vibe and look is so, so much a part of popular culture right now. Yeah, it is. It's in many ways, it was actually easier for me to acquire period set decoration in terms of supply chain issues and what's out there and what's available during COVID. But, you know, it's amazing both in the home decor sector and I think right in, in clothing, you know, what exists in contemporary stores that vibe back to the late 70s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. Rosemary, let, let's talk a little bit about that because I'm, I'm hearing a lot of the character design is coming from from Ed and and how he's setting out these characters. But l the actual process of are you going to vintage stores? Are you going to the Gap? Or are you having custom made clothes? Like how are you going about actually dressing these characters in such perfect, you know, pitch perfect attire uh, for the time? I was really lucky to, I was, you know, during all the height of COVID, I was thinking, oh my gosh, are any of these stores going to be open? Am I going to be able to do this? And I was so lucky to have all the vintage shops were all open. Everything was open and everything, which I'm very proud of is from New York. There's a couple of vintage houses that I went to in Pennsylvania. There's one in Albany, you know, downtown, like Lower East Side. So I was able to, ha you know, and I have a bunch of contacts just from doing this for many years. Um, and I've done 80s before. So it really was kind of reassuring that I could go to all my contacts that I saved. I even had uh, in Albany, they have catalogs from 1975, 1980, 1979. I got all those catalogs and I was able to rent them. All the shoes, I mean, you name it, accessories are in there. So yeah, a lot of that was really nice. You know, I've there was also rentals that I used. And so when you're renting a piece that you really love, you can't cut the piece. The only thing you can do is you can hem it or you can, you know, make it look as good as you can because it has to be sent back to the rental costume shop. Right, right. We get that. You lose your deposit. Yeah. <laughs> of course, when we're when we're in the fitting, and I'm like, oh, I love this. Okay, let's cut it. Let's do this. 
uh, it's a rental. No, we can't. Yeah. Okay. Right. Stitch witchery, you know, steaming up like the hymn, you know, the hymn. Yeah, exactly. And we go through that too. Like, you know, um, sometimes we say, oh, if we could just paint that frame or do this. No, you can't touch it. It's no, you can't. <laughs> If you had the choice to work on a period piece like this versus doing a modern show, like I know you you worked on Younger, you worked on We Crash, very set in the now shows. Is there a preference for you that reflects your own style better, uh, a more modern piece or a period piece like this? I mean, I, I always tend to go to the late 70s, so anything um, so right in your wheelhouse then oh. it, yeah it is i mean you know the denim of it all and yeah like the bell bottoms which are coming back again because they always do but yeah i would say that's where i usually stand but i do have to make costumes as well and if i do love something that is a rental and i just realize okay it's not going to work if we if we hem it or we can do this to make it work I'll just have it made, which are some of the costumes I did have made in season two from borrowing some rentals. Tell us a few so the fans look out for them when they're watching the episodes. Okay, well, on Caitlin, who plays Jill, there's a scene in the bar where she's wearing this white blouse. That was a rental that I had to have made. Oh, I also made, you know, there was a bunch of things made for Caitlin. I made a dress, a black dress, like Audrey Hepburn wore. And breakfast at Tiffany's, so that was really fun. And there's a scene on uh, on the street in Manhattan in Tribeca where she's fighting with mm-hmm. her roommate <laughs> Isabella, who plays Stacy. That was really fun to make that dress. And see, that's another kind of classic reference that you know, whether it comes from Rose or whether in her research or me and my research or Ed says, remember this. It's like instant connection to the visual for a lot of audience members. That might be a subliminal kind of thing, but you know, you should know. Everybody should know that in our in our prep time, these are the things. Things that we deep dive into. And I think ultimately it really informs the period and makes kind of visual memories for people. They're very responsive to it. But we tend to overanalyze these things, bring the, the best that we can to, you know, really support the, the script and the characters. It also helps to have the all-star crew that we have, whereas there was this one, uh, speaking of making a costume, Barrett Wilbur Weed, who plays Lizzie, is in a band called Wildfire. And we were cross-boarding six episodes at once, which means you really have to be on your toes with reading the script and making sure you know, okay, what's coming up on on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday to make sure that you may need uh, an outfit that you wouldn't need. It's just hard with the continuity. Right. So, right. It, so let us explain that cross-boarding yeah, explain is, <laughs> is, is when we are potentially shooting different pieces of different episodes day after day after day because you move into a location, you have a certain actor or actress for a short amount of time. So you're, you know, shooting one episode where something happens and then three episodes later in the, in the same room or with the same or different work wardrobe so there's a, a lot of issues of continuity and and things come up always that you know I don't know about you Rose but like as much as you plan for it sometimes you know it's a it's a high demand to just realize you're going to need kind of 
everything for everything. each character <laughs> up, up front. Like, everything. you know, like it prep everything because, Ugh, uh, so you know, it, because and and it, it allows your director always and your cast to, to jump around like because they have the location. And so they have the set supposedly. Right. And they have the the actor or actress you know they think oh well we can just do any of the pieces at any moment right snap their fingers the the magic genie comes right right yeah you know so there's this there's the scene where barrett who plays lizzie you know they're all in the dressing room the name of their band is called wildfire and they're in the dressing room and i was reading you know i always reread things on the weekend just to make sure i have all my ducks in a row and i thought oh my gosh i need to have this costume by monday and it's saturday (laughs) and so i I was like i gotta call eddie called eddie and i said listen I need to buy, you need to buy me some time. I said, if they're in the dressing room, is it okay if Lizzie is just in her t-shirt? Like they're getting dressed and they're getting ready because, you know, that scene wasn't going to happen till the end of shooting. Right. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No problem. I was like, okay, thank God. But now I, that's just not the one phone call I had to make. I had to call hair and makeup. I had to call the prop department. <laughs> but everybody just works to get, you know, it was so great to just, Everyone was like, yeah, no problem. You know, let's just do it. Let's do it. Yeah, that makes more sense anyway. So right. And and out. it's because our leader for both seasons is not only someone who's an experienced actor and now director, but someone who is so crew-centric and so nimble at being able to say, okay, that's not going to work for you, or that's going to take too much time. I'm going to look this way. I'm going to alter my, you know, my concept. I'm going to be open to anything that you bring me. 100%. Right. Mm -hmm. That was another reason that we were able to pull this off. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it was a budgetary constraint or a location constraint, or like Rose is saying, a, a, a scheduling thing, there's such cognizance in Eddie of what everybody brings to the table and what our respective, uh, you know, crafts are. And he like pours over things, you know, we would be allowed to just be with him and the director of photography when we were opening sets for COVID reasons. But to just, you know, like, open that door and have them come in, he would immediately go to my my smallest little touch, the bowl of walnuts on the table with the nutcracker or the box of buttons or, you know, a particular poster. That's, I, I mean, that's just joyful for me and I'm, I'm sure for you too, Rose, where, you know, you just see him like light up and he's so happy with the results. Mm-hmm. Our crew really informed all of this stuff and these choices and made it happen together. And, you know, our cast, too, they're so great. It's like, you know, they're very, you know, I had to also explain to Barrett. I was like, okay, look, you're not going to be wearing the major outfit yet because I'm still making it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, okay, cool. You know, so it's like just a great group um, group of people. And we're really lucky. I really found that. Also, even after season one, Rose and I have more interaction 
on Instagram and together and messaging each other than we were allowed to have during the show shooting. And it's the same thing with the actors. I follow all of them and they follow me and, and you see that they are such good friends off screen and they support each other and all the different jobs besides Bridge and Tunnel that they do. They're always really supportive of each other and interested. So it was just like a, a dream company, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rose, uh, Beth has mentioned the COVID protocols a lot, and, and she and I and Caroline, uh, you know, uh, Beth's co-host, have talked about how COVID protocols have really changed the filming industries and from a set decorator point of view. But for you, and I think about for costume design and for hair and makeup, how much has that changed your job uh, from what it was to what it is now? Because I imagine costume designing requires a lot of in-person contact and a lot of kind of close quarters. Well, I found that you have to have a lot more patience when it comes to dealing with these new protocols. For example, in in season one, we didn't have as many background scenes just because we couldn't because of COVID. But if we did, you know, let's say there was 10 people. Originally, what we could do is you try on one outfit to somebody. And if it doesn't work because it's period clothing, you just, okay, that doesn't fit take the outfit off. I'll put it on someone else. Okay. You try that. You know, you're very quick. You're, it's, you got to move really fast. You know, there's a time constraint. Everybody's waiting for you. You know, you couldn't do that anymore. So anytime someone would throw, you know, put a piece of clothing on, it would have to go into a garbage bag and we'd have to wash it. <laughs> so it was so frustrating, but I thought, okay, we're just going to do it. We're just going to do it this way. This is how it has to be. And it worked out, you know, it all worked out. And again, everyone was very accommodating. You know, all of our extras were great who was working with us, which I think was good to have, you know, to learn the patience of it all. I don't think I just speak for myself. I think that's the whole crew, you know, when it comes to Yeah, it it, it um definitely tests your patience and you know, it's a system that I don't know about you, Rose, but I'm finding, you know, whatever job I go to, it's it's kind of still in many ways in development in terms of how we test and when we test and what we do and contact tracing and studios take it very very seriously of course Um, health and safety has become paramount but it's also added probably a third more to any budget. I mean, I I find that um, the set decoration department is, is usually one of the largest, if not the largest on any show, but uh, certainly now um, we're beat by miles in terms of the health and safety departments. It's, you know, an incredible coordination when you think about jobs where people have to be tested every day and work on location and get testing there. And our lives have taken on, I think, even more electronically based coordination and communication. You know, we all fill out health and safety forms every day and we wear bracelets, the color coded and we're in different zones. Um, But I think in year one and in season one of Bridge and Tunnel, it was I don't know, it was something that I felt always aware of, you know, standing on a location scout and looking at everybody with their masks on. Now it just seems so commonplace, you know, that everybody kind of goes to work and it is just what we do. Yeah, the zoning as well, you know, so 
and you really have to, you know, plan your morning. Okay. I have to get tested first. So, (laughs) all right. So I, okay. I have to get up a little bit earlier just so I can test because I have to be with the actors. You just, you have to do it. Otherwise you're not going to be able to work, which that's, that's our norm now. I think one thing, but I think with all of that added on, I think one thing people maybe don't realize is there's not a ton of extra time though, being allowed to make these shows. Right. Oh, I mean, not it, at all. It, it, yeah, so you, right. you have all of these extra responsibilities and other hoops and protocols to go through, which which is for everyone's benefit and safety. But you're still under the same kind. It's not like you're taking an extra ten days of shooting to get it all done. So it just makes for longer days, right? I mean, that has to be kind of an exhausting marathon by by the time the the season is all done and shot, even for a six a six episode show uh, like like Bridge and Tunnel. Oh, it's definitely altered our schedule. You know, the the most interesting thing for me and my department is when you need extra manpower pre-COVID, nine times out of 10, you start to make phone calls for set dressers. I need to book you for tomorrow. We're, you know, schedules changing. I need extra people. Or you call the union hall and they send you. But everything now goes through this filter of you have to be thinking two, three days in advance because, you know, if you're adding any manpower, you have to have your team tested. Yeah, the testing. Both mm-hmm. Rose and I, who are running departments, she may need right an extra seamstress or you know um, an extra set costumer for a, 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 a day. You know that's scheduled with the ten extras. Everything has to be our responsibility. Of okay, well, let me backtrack and think about people getting tested. And it's how, it's this new system that we all get onboarded. And as much as we have our, I think, creative collaboration that's, you know, with shared screens on our Zoom calls and stuff, a lot of our former in-person collaborations, like what I would have with, say, the accounting department. I mean, now I could do a whole entire job where the accounting department is literally in another country. <laughs> I mean, I just finished a job where the head accountant was in another country, in another time zone <laughs> for the whole job. As insane as it may be, and it, you know, pushes the envelope. And, you know, we sit in my office and talk about this a lot. Like, this is insane. You know, I don't know. Ultimately, we say, you know, this is the new norm. This is how Mm -hmm. we're working. And, you know, there's certainly a demand for the entertainment. And good news is that there are tons of new stages being built in the tri-state area. The work here is is plentiful we have to do whatever we have to do right rose that's right rose we're just about out of time but before we go i know one of the the, probably the major question we're going to get asked uh once the season premieres on july 10th is where can i get those clothes for for people listening what's the best suggestions for places either specific stores or just general places for people that want to get the look where should they be heading where should they be looking i would say manhattan to start and there's so many great and not nerdy like upper east or upper west side places man you want to be down in like tribeca or soho or like the village nolita north of little italy there's a great little store it's called ritual vintage and this is just for women though the owner her name is stacy and she only does women so a lot of the clothes that 
you know, I dress the girls is, is a lot of them are from there. They have great jeans, great tops. It's like really fun. Also, uh, Brooklyn has a bunch of great, uh, thrifting, uh, out, you know, out in the outskirts, right. uh, Williamsburg as well for the guys, you know, the jeans and, you know, but, you know, you could also find urban outfitters if you wanted to do, if you didn't want to do some thrifting, they actually have some really good pieces that are that are new, but look vintage. And just like you said, everything old is new again, right? The, everything old is new. Every late 70s, early 80s is never far from style. So, And Rose, what kind of color really speaks to the period? The muddy colors, you know, like browns and yellows and greens. It's still kind of that, which is in all of the photos. If you look from the 80s, <laughs> um, you know, in those plaids, I love to put the plaids on Kitty who plays Jimmy's mom. But yeah, I would say that's more of the the color scheme that I, I went with, even on season two, you know, except for when, you know, the girls came to the city. I mean, you'll see there's a little bit of a change there. Yeah, there's sophistication, right? Yeah, there's sophistication, but I didn't go too drastic with the colors because each year of the 80s, you know, some of it has stayed the same and then it doesn't really get to more of, the fluorescent stuff doesn't happen until like, you know, later on in the eighties. So right. you really that, that have Miami to be, Vice be inspired fluorescent. Yeah, and... that doesn't happen yet. Not on not on Bridge and Tom. And nor are we I mean, in the yet. working girl <laughs> right. uh it's not working girl shoulder pad time yet it's either. Not working girl yet. Not maybe season like four or five, you know, but yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> God, I'm, just we'll thinking, get there. I'm just thinking of my mom changing her shoes on the railroad on the way home, putting her sneakers back oh, on. With her her sneakers, heels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sneakers mm-hmm. in her bag. Rose, thank you so much for your time. If people wanted to follow you on social media, uh is there a place that they should follow you just to keep up on what you're working on and 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 things that you're uh, doing yeah i mean my handle is rose laprice style on instagram and we'll tag that in the post and it'll be up on the website when the episode goes live too oh that would be great yeah thank you so much rose thank you so much i had a great time thanks beth i'll talk to you soon i really appreciate it okay that was really fun everyone listening make sure you check out season two premiere bridge and tunnel on sunday july 10th only on epics Thank you to Rosemary so much for joining us and for giving all our listeners a concept of how detailed her job is and how she brings all of our characters to life in their wardrobe and in their beautiful costumes. So speaking of characters, Beth, I know that there's a lot of change for our characters in Bridge and Tunnel. There's a lot going on with them. How do you show the maturity of these characters that move into the city through your set design and through everything that you're working on? It's just a lot of top layer of life. It's a lot of character development. Thinking, as I do, kind of logically, you know, at their age, what would the place look like? What would their parents kind of allow them to live in? What is the socioeconomic background of a character? You know, that comes into play a lot. What would the rent be on this loft in the city? You know, and sometimes we fudge that stuff. All of that thinking and deep diving and into the character and analysis of of the character comes into play when you're creating their world. What did they bring with them? What it, what are they collecting? What's the action? Are they cooking? Are they ordering out? Do they have a bar in their loft? Is that 
the new hangout place? Where are they doing their work? You know, are they having all their friends over? These are the ways in which the scenes develop and the characters develop. The set decorator is tasked with providing all of that based on the script, of course. So luckily, we're a little bit through the pandemic these days. And I'm curious, was sourcing items for season two any easier these days? Or is it it continued to be a challenge? It's definitely continued to be a challenge. The interesting thing is, I think we've had an effect on our listeners because... How do you show the maturity of people during the pandemic to go out there, look for thrift items, and when you couldn't get things in your big box stores, to maybe buy an item from a different period and paint it or fix it up, and there's not a lot of stuff out there. We are still kind of having the supply chain issue with newer items. Although I'm seeing that a lot of businesses have developed a kind of limited in-stock, you know, ready-to-ship line. And that is something that people can look out for. A lot of websites of bigger box uh, home decor stores, actually, when you go on the website, there's a new tab that says in-stock. You can see immediately. I like that because then I don't get attached. You know, if I get attached to a piece and I'm printing it out and um, thinking about using it on a set and then I go back in and see, oh, that's six months away from happening, (laughs) you know, in in film and television, that's not working for me. Although I'll, I'll tell you, I have one piece that is printed and sitting on my desk and I'm just waiting for the month that it finally comes in. And no matter what job I'm on, at that time, I am buying that piece of furniture. I love it. You're like, it's going to make it That's work. It. For it's sure. going to make it on one of <laughs> Beth Kushnick's sets somewhere. That's what's kind of the new and updated uh, scenarios going on in home decor. The industry has embraced this need, which is still COVID based, and they have adopted ways and means to get people things quicker. That's helpful. Of course, this particular period, 70s and even 80s, since it's so hip, it is kind of available, you know, at some stores that you wouldn't normally think of. And then we still tapped in to people who reach out to me. You know, I I have um, one listener and follower who um, had a lot of things from the period and uh, she contacted me and we went and purchased directly from her. Wow, what an amazing connection made. It it was an incredible (laughs) connection. People know that I'm always looking for things. I've been getting a lot of great artwork from artists asking me to take a look at their portfolios and consider using their pieces. And I'm I'm open to anything, open to seeing anything. It goes back to the thing we've been talking about in all of our seasons about your relationships with people and hanging on to them because you can never know when there's going to be a connection made and you're going to you're going to hook up and then finally be able to use some of those pieces. So that's amazing. It's true. You know, right now I am working on a show. Uh, you know, I went to my go-to, John Koch, and we're kind of back at it, conceiving and finding things, unusual things. You know, that's the joy of all of this. That's 
kind of what keeps me enthused and excited and the same for him, you know, we're in that like highly charged creative process right now. It's so great. I know that you've made a lot of relationships on Bridge and Tunnel with the crew and the other departments. So today we have the incredible pleasure of having one of Bridge and Tunnel's co-stars, Sam Bartholomeos, who plays Jimmy. And he brings to us really the essence of the boy who grew up on Long Island. His father is played by Ed Burns in the show. He tells us about being cast and directed by Ed Burns. And Sam is a great actor and a great asset. I think Sam brilliantly captures the character of Jimmy in Bridge and Tunnel. Joining us today for our special Bridge and Tunnel Season 2 edition of Decorating the Set is Bridge and Tunnel's co-star, Sam Vartholomeos. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Spot on on the last name. I've been doing a vocal warm-up all day for it, so... <laughs> My, I my, love it. my son heard me early this morning saying your last name. He's like, what are you doing? And He's I was like, like, is that a, is that a disease? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, it starts with a V. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's ever good when it starts with a V. <laughs> Sam, we're so happy to have you. Uh, thank you for having me, guys, truly. We didn't get to speak to you during the season one of the show. So let's go back in time a little bit. Talk to us a little bit, your audition process. How did you come to be on Bridge and Tunnel? How did you become Jimmy Farrell? Everything about Bridge and Tunnel on my end was in the heat of the pandemic. You know, the industry was kind of starting again, so everything was on tape. And this was actually my first um, over Zoom audition. Uh, every, every other job I'd gone out for was over a tape. You send it out sort of into the universe and you never hear back from it. But this was with Maribeth Fox, our casting director. Uh, this was actually all over Zoom, which was kind of refreshing to get a little feedback so after the first round, uh, I auditioned for Jimmy, and they were like, you know what, we want you to come in for PAGS. So I read for PAGS. They were like, all right, take everything you did with PAGS and bring it to Jimmy. I said, okay. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I guess they liked it and um, had a, another session with Ed, finally met Ed. Oddly enough, in the email, it said, written, directed, produced by Edward F. Burns. And I said, okay, who the... Who the hell is Edward F. Burns? <laughs> and uh, I get into the Zoom, and it's Ed Burns. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is the guy. This is a where did the, where did the Edward where did the F come from? I like you know. So it was it was really funny. And then it was Eddie immediately, right? And then it was Eddie. Yeah, he was like, call me Eddie. I'm like, you got it. We uh, so we had we had a great uh, Zoom session, and uh, you know did it a bunch of different times, and uh, we we found out. I you know he asked me where I'm from. He's like, you're a New Yorker. I said, yeah. He's like, where are you at? And I said, I'm in Astoria. He says, no shit, my old man grew up in Astoria. I'm like, oh no way. He's like, where are you? I said, I'm on 30th and 42nd. He's like, my dad grew up on 43rd, right by St. Joe's. And I and, and then of course right on cue the freaking bells go off. Yeah. At, yep. at one p. <laughs> and I'm like literally right here. So it was really like it, it, it was crazy how our, how our worlds kind of came Meant together. To be. There. Yeah, Meant to be. really seriously. And then uh, yeah, you know, found found out. I think that was a Monday, and I I was I was sweating it all week. I uh, hadn't heard back, and then Friday uh, night, my you know, I got the news. So it was, it was pretty incredible. <laughs> Beyond just pandemic times and every actor is looking for a job, was there something in particular that drew you to the part or drew you to the show that, especially as a New Yorker, was there anything there? Yeah, I think I think that was it right there. Um, 
you know, it was, it was pretty funny. I think, you know, a few months into the pandemic, uh, I was talking with an actor friend of mine and she was like, you know, what, what would be next for you? Like, what do you want? I said, honestly, I would, I would love to, to be in a New York project, uh, you know, hopefully like a series regular, but a true like New York project. And I don't know if anybody believes in, you know, manifesting, yes, throwing, throwing things out into the universe, but um, it, it really, I'm getting a little choked up. Uh, <laughs> it was, wow. yeah, it truly was like meant, meant to be, I think so. So yeah, it's, I mean, doing a New York show with a New York guy, that's Ed, that's Ed Burns. I don't care who you have in your roster. Ed Burns is, is a New York guy through and through. And, you know, you have all these people trying to do New York and uh, yeah. that's, he, he's the one who truly pays homage to where he came from, the people he grew up with, the people who, and he surrounds himself still with those people. I mean, you, you go anywhere in New York, especially filming out on Long Island. I mean, he's the freaking mayor of anywhere we go. It's true. It's so true. I mean, Beth, come on. Like, (laughs) Like, you can't walk down the street. I had been on the Zoom with him so many times before we actually met on the Tech Scout, which is, you know, for season one, which is so weird because it's a lot of prep time in the height of COVID. No one came together. Everybody worked from home. You know, I felt like I knew him so well because we shared so much interaction. But that first day, I mean, you can't even be out on the street without people driving their cars by, <laughs> screaming out the window, yeah. <laughs> you know. And and he acts like he knows everybody, and he probably does, you know. Pro- yeah. yeah. But he just gives you that kind of connection, reassurance. You know, it's just part of his manner, which is incredible. The, the best yeah. New Yorkers know how to point and go, hey, how's your mom? How's your <laughs> and they know <laughs> fucking idea who you are. They don't exactly. know. But hey, you know, how's really? your sister doing? Exactly, you know? exactly. Yes. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, truly, he, he he really he really does know how to make you feel. And I, again, I think that's just a New York thing, like you guys are saying. Like it, you're just you're part of the family. I, as soon as people found out I got this job and and who was you know who I was working with, my like. 80 year old neighbor across the street comes up to me and he goes, uh, Oh, you're working with uh, Ed Burns. I said, yeah, Mr. Danny. He goes, uh, I played golf with his dad. I was, yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, what? And then my uh, friend's dad was like, yeah, I went to an event with him. I met him and his wife is great. Great. No, no one has a bad thing to say about this guy. It's, it's, it's truly incredible. Let's uh, let's stay in the Wayback Machine. Let's talk about your process. How much backstory do you need to know about a character? How how or do you just taking it right on the page and and not really thinking about too much of where they're coming from? Uh, it really starts for me at least. It starts uh, with the audition. Um, and I can't remember actually if I did get a script for episode one for this. I think it was actually just the side. So you know you're given two or three pages of a scene, and then you kind of have to fill in the blanks. So it really started there. And I mean, it, it, it didn't take long to figure out that, uh, I mean, I'm Jimmy Farrell. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> the guy, the guy, the kid's not that far away from who Sam Bartholomew is, you know, grown up blue collar, loving family. He, you know, he wants to chase his dream and he, he has a supporting family. They may not understand where he wants to go or, or really how to get him there, but they know that they're going to do everything they can to help them along the way. Yeah, that was something I, I related to immediately. You know, as soon as I got the job and I got the scripts and, and met everybody, it was, it was just, it just flowed. So we really enjoyed as a department kind of creating the whole world for Jimmy, you know, especially with this underlying theme of him being, you know, or wanting to be a famous photographer. It was really 
great to go back and do research. And we had to get all these photos in National Geographics and Ansel Adam photos cleared. And, you know, that's another way that it really told his backstory, because in fact, that's what people were looking at and drawn to at the time in terms of, you know, the the whole craft of photography, you know, the idea that you were going to be like this local boy and go world traveling because of your love of photography. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I think Jimmy had something to say in his photographs and I think, you know, everyone has a story and everything, everyone wants their, their story told in some way. And I, I think, um, you know, his, his pursuit wasn't really to become a famous photographer. It was just to get his story. You know, I gotta do it. It's that, it's that thing that, you know, you have that itch in your backside and mm-hmm. you, you, you just can't reach it and you're trying everything you can to reach it. And, and that's, that's where Jimmy lives. And it's not only in his photography and it's, 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 it's in his love for Jill. It's in his love for his family, his pain in the ass sister, which I think yep. uh, I, I can definitely relate to. <laughs> <laughs> you also had like the physicality, you know, th- there are a lot of photos from the still photographer for the show, but also a lot of scenes where you really had that physicality of a photographer down looked like a total natural for you. I, well, <laughs> the the bigger period, you know, camera, it's not like holding your iPhone, you know, no, no, <laughs> you know, even even the work in the dark room, you know, that was a set that we built. But yeah. um, you definitely pulled off the authenticity of it. Thank you. That means uh, that means a lot. Thank you. You know, I, I actually got into I, I wouldn't consider myself a photographer photographer I, I i really like taking pictures and my arsenal has grown over the years from polaroids to my dad's old film camera and um i i buy way too many cameras but um that, w- that was a, a passion of mine definitely so it, it wasn't it wasn't too foreign of a concept to uh to grasp my dad i have my dad's canon ae1 that i use uh, that's so cool yeah i bought a little a little uh Rico, just automatic film camera, and I, I bring it to parties or when I'm out with friends, and so it, it definitely. And I'm just, I mean, I love, I love old shit. <laughs> I really do. Like, I love old shit, and I love the way it feels. I love hearing the mechanics working in the camera when you're loading the film and when you're winding it up. And the only thing I actually didn't have any experience in was the darkroom. Um, mm-hmm. So that, I mean, Jeff Mulstock, our DP, really helped me out with that, and just you know, figuring out what all the different chemicals did. And um, so, yeah, we figured that out. But yeah, man, uh, again, Jim, I am Jimmy. Jimmy is me. <laughs> so, so this is coming out. Uh, this episode's going to air a couple of weeks before. It's actually coming out right before you guys premiere at Tribeca, which very exciting. Yes. Um, tell, tell us about Jimmy. We're picking up in the summer of 81. He's coming back from Alaska. Where is Jimmy at? How has he changed? What can people expect from him? Is he still with Jill? Give us a little bit about where, where Jimmy Farrell is standing in summer of 81. Summer 81 it's like you said it's a year after uh he leaves so he's back from his adventures in alaska he's uh gone even further than alaska he's taken multiple trips now at this point um so he spent a lot of time away from the family from friends from you know his his true love jill so he's bringing some things with him he's bringing some experiences back home with him he's a little different, but there is that thing of like when you return home, that sort of you sort of I don't want to say regress in a bad way, but it's like, you know, you're sleeping in your 
childhood room, which Beth did an amazing job on. Thank you. And by <laughs> the way, we did a deep dive into that because we wanted to make sure the bed felt a little small for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the chair was a little low. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we did really take all of that into consideration to kind of show your it, that it was it was time for you to be out of there. Right. I mean, and, and you know, the good thing is, like, we're, we're all playing kids relatively close in age. You know, I'm, I'm not playing a 17-year-old a who's coming back as 18. Like, J- Jimmy's a bit of a man at this point. You know, he's yeah. he's experienced some things on his own. He's out, out of Long Island. Um, so, you know, a trip like that can help but, but change you in some way. So he's coming back. He has maybe some new work that's that's coming his way that'll take him back out. Uh <laughs> Well, you know, he he has some difficult choices to make about career and love and family in season two. You know, we see Jill and Stacy in season two kind of advance as well, you know, moving to New York and pursuing their dreams. That's something the fans are going to be so excited to see because it really still keeps the flavor, you know, Ed kept the flavor of Long Island. And and of course we were back at the tavern, back at our, you know, all our Long Island houses, but, you know, this added new level of kind of, you know, crossing over the bridge and through the tunnels to the big city, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think, I think that was, I guess one comment about season one, all, all my friends and my family, everyone I talked to about season one, they were like, you know, it, it's great, but when are we going to get the, when are we going to see these kids in their elements? Yeah. When are we going to see them in the city? I mean, the, you know, like the show's called Bridge and Tunnel and they never cross a bridge or go through a tunnel. <laughs> well, not in the height of COVID, which was season one, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's what you kind of have to explain to them. And I, I really think season two, Ed did a great job of getting everyone's storylines through they made him you know he made them clear we're finally through this hump of covid i think and Mm -hmm. uh and we could tell the story the way ed wanted to it really was i think what season one wanted to be but we couldn't make it happen with the amount of episodes we got and that was another thing too people were like it just it just got started and now you know i gotta wait a a year or two (laughs) i thought about that though too and i saw that same criticism they never cross a bridge they never take a tunnel but i think it ended up being an accidental blessing to explain as far as a show that's going to run for a while, the mindset of a bridge and tunnel kid, I like, you know, you grew up in Queens. I grew up in Queens. I took the railroad. You probably took the end train into the city. There's a, there's a little bit of a stigma. If you're in the city, not living in the city, especially in the eighties and the nineties, for sure. I would hop on the railroad, going to Penn station and people like, if you weren't from there, they knew. And I think there's like a mindset from being Long Island or Queens of being an outer borough kid. So I think season one did a good job of explaining that and introducing who these kids were in that mindset. And now maybe without COVID or COVID lessening, we can actually show them going into the city a bit more. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that. And that that's something, uh, like you said, being from Queens, I could definitely relate to. I, I stayed in Queens up until about high school when I got into a high school there, LaGuardia High School. And I was, you know, I was taking the train every day and I definitely felt I was looking at the world through this weird distorted peephole and all, all of a sudden I noticed my, my Queensness and it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was very weird because, you know, after a year or two years, you start to sort of adapt to, I started to adapt, to adapt to my environment. And then I, I sort of became too, I was still too Queens for my high school, 
but I wasn't Queens enough for my hometown. <laughs> right, you know, it, was, right. it, was, it was very bizarre. But yeah, I mean, we really did establish the Long Island life, the houses. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, Beth, in, in one of your episodes, you commented on Jimmy running from his house to Jill's house. And yeah. that, that's, that's where we, man, that's where we filmed. We were in a neighborhood there, and you just right. saw me run straight through, and that's, that is the life. The location find of us kind of taking over that whole neighborhood. And, you know, we've touched on this a little bit about how, you know, we went and infiltrated a neighborhood of actual neighbors, long-term <laughs> neighbors. And, you know, we took stuff out of one house and put it in another. And, yeah. um, but, you know, the, the first day of, of scouting to realize that, we were portraying that real life of, you know, hopping the fence or talking over the fence and running down the street with all the period cars and, you know, the flavor of all of that. It really portrayed a, a certain lifestyle that, you know, it, as Micah said, still really exists. I had the opposite growing up because I grew up in Manhattan and didn't veer from my neighborhood either much, you know? So, yeah. It felt like growing up on uh, within a couple of blocks on, on Long Island. I can relate in kind of a different way, but I know plenty of people who grew up out of Manhattan, close to Manhattan, and have never even once been here. I was born in 1978. My parents' house still has the same green and white aluminum siding that it had in 1978. They haven't lived, they haven't even owned the house actually in 20 years. It's still, I drove by there not too long ago. It still has the same aluminum siding. Oh, it, like, you know, from 1978, God knows how much longer before then. Just doesn't change. It's just one of those places that doesn't really change. Is it, yeah. It's in a jar. It is. <laughs> Let, let's talk about you, Sam. It's probably not any stretch to say coming into a brand new show, you're one of the leads. There's probably some anxiety. Your shoulder, your show is on your shoulders. Tell us about the difference coming back for season two, where all of you returning to make the new season. What was the vibe like getting the band back together to do the new season? Was it very different? Was it more anxiety, less? What was the feeling shooting? I'd say in season one, I definitely I had a conversation with a very good friend of mine, and and I I asked him that I said you know he's been in the industry for years, and I said what is expected of me, <laughs> you know, I mean I, I go into basically anything I do wanting to play my part, do the best job I possibly can, and serve everybody else. Yeah, I, I believe if you serve everybody else, then you're in you know in fact serving yourself. Uh, he said, just do that, <laughs> continue to do, to do the best job you possibly can. And that's, uh, I, I, I hope what I brought into season one and exactly what I, I brought into season two. And I think it was a little bittersweet in season two because we were like, oh man, we're all getting back together again. And then, you know, the fact that we can finally open the world up, everybody's on their own, you know, in their own path. Right. Like friends, you know, eventually do when they're pursuing, you know, girls or their career or love, you know, whatever it is, eventually you do kind of stray. There are moments like you'll find in season two where we're finally back together. And it's like, holy shit, like I haven't seen you. Like, what are you doing here? You know, especially, uh, you know, Stacy. Stacy, I love Stacy's storyline this season. You know, we only really see her a handful of times. So it was it was nice. 
to see everybody for the few times we did. <laughs> your your accidental Ed Burns impression is really impressive. The, oh, not, like, the, 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 the holy shit, the show, holy, holy, holy shit, what are you doing here? It's, it's, I, you're like putting me in Valley Stream in such a, a way. Yeah. Holy shit. It's, everyone, you got. if you have a chance, you have to ask everyone to do the whole cast to just give, an impre- give their Ed Burns impression. It's... It, everyone's got their own little rendition of it. It's hilarious, but yeah, hey, you're talking yeah. to me. Whoa, hey, yeah, yeah. whoa, hey. <laughs> we were talking to Rose, uh, our costume designer, in this yes. episode as well. Is is how you guys as a cast, and you know, because I I had uh, most of my interaction with all of you is actually on social media, and everybody is so supportive of of each other of all the work that you guys do you know whether it's bridge and tunnel related or not it's really so great to see all of you as individuals both within your characters on bridge and tunnel and you know in your in your personal lives and in uh, other shows you all share and you can kind of feel the camaraderie between all the actors and I think that's something that definitely Eddie brought to the table for all of us. But we all kind of bonded in a weird time when we couldn't really meet or be with each other. But I I think it's just continued, you know, hence you you coming and joining us today. I mean, you know, we're we're all so pro bridge and tunnel you know we just yeah. <laughs> uh we we want to see it have uh you know have its due and have a life so it's you know exciting that we're we're premiering at the tribeca film festival it's amazing it it, it really is i i mean i i i had to change my underwear when i found out uh, <laughs> but um yeah i mean it really i mean if you think about it it was we you know the only interactions at least i had were with you know my little safe group of people and you know it was my family and you know maybe two friends and we'd always meet outside and it was very much yeah. like bridge and tunnel season 1 where we were just yeah. at the park you know hanging out and then to be in this environment where you're not only around other people but especially in terms of the cast like we're all around the same age and i mean we were locked down in that what was it it was a uh, hampton inn in yep. uh, in Rockville Center. I mean, we 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 locked that hotel down. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's where our production offices were. Yeah. That's where our co- we would get COVID tested in the parking lot there. Yep. You know, yep. it was um, on the way to our our main neighborhood of of our houses and location. It was almost like living on location, but we still didn't really get to see each other. Um, I'm just really thrilled that. You know, I got to develop all of your characters' backstories with the work and that we all kind of came to know each other from afar. Yeah, and Beth, I mean, really, honestly, like walking into Jimmy's room, I really thought I was walking into a room that I would make myself, like in in the 80s. Like you had... Led Thank Zeppelin, you. you had Jimmy Page right up there, okay? <laughs> and then you had all the National Geographics right by his desk, which I do that with my Polaroids. My Polaroids just flood my desk. On that and thick cork board, on the, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember I was getting ready for uh, a date night, 
I think with yeah. uh, with Jill and I was by my dresser and just seeing all the, the little aftershave and the deodorants and I'm like oh my god like I my grandfather still has those deodorants you know in his in his house well I'll tell you a tip that that everyone will love this little Easter egg you know when you're looking for period product to dress on on set you know yeah. sometimes you tap into prop houses in in LA that you know feature that kind of stuff or you get graphics to make labels and stuff but in this case I found that the local dollar store in Long Island was you know my go-to source for all that stuff because they had the stuff that it felt the same vibe really? so yeah that's wow. that's where I shopped like that whole top layer of of life, you know, at the dollar store. Not that everything was still a dollar, but you know, it it really worked out. I love I love that stuff. That's that's what I live for, you know, filling those drawers and that top layer of life. You know, I hear actors say all the time putting on their costume is like the last part of their armor to help oh, them yeah. get them in their character. How does your costume and being in that room, the like you said, the the Led Zeppelin posters, how does that help you kind of transport you into your character? I mean, how does it not? I mean, put it putting on those jeans. Mm-hmm. Th- those jeans have no forgiveness. Let me just tell you that right now. I mean, you know, you guys, you guys probably know that's just straight up denim right there. So, so there's not a lot of room. Yeah, I think Beth, you you, you talked about how you know in, in some of the stills, I kind of look like you know the, the photographer in that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really just uh, you put me in front of an old car, you put me in those clothes, you give me that camera, you put me in that room. I mean, it's, I mean, it's you guys. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but it's, it's, it's all you <laughs> guys. Great. It, it really you. is. It really is. Um, the, the, the dialogue that Ed has written is just so freaking New York that. Yep. And the music, the music. Yeah. The music. I mean, that just, that, that, that was people's like top three comments of exactly. like the music just transported me. You know, what else was really interesting visually is that, you know, we were dressing empty rooms and building certain walls and returns and stuff in actual locations. But what struck me the most about Jimmy's bedroom is unlike building the couple of sets that we did, um, other bedrooms, was the, the three-dimensionality of literally... Um, we hung a clothing line outside the the window of your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> and it like pushed the perspective into like, you know, the backyard outside your room. That really did it for me, you know, because sometimes we use green screen or blue screen or we um, see a backdrop out the window. Right. But seeing that actual backyard where we even like trimmed some greens and and made sure of the perfect placement for the clothing line, that just rang so true. It was not a bedroom in the house. It was no. a, 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 <laughs> it was their their den that we turned into a bedroom. Right, right. Yeah, and so so much of this show does that. It really does. Everything from from the cars. To, I mean, that neighborhood, you had kids, mm-hmm. 
you had kids. I mean, so often, like in the, you know, when we're shooting in the late afternoon or the evening, the block would be flooded with all these neighborhood kids. How much did we actually have to do in that neighborhood to to make it look period? I think that neighborhood really is in that is in that glass jar. <laughs> it is, you know. I mean, I'll tell you the the interestingly enough, the hardest thing to come by on a certain level was the the outdoor furniture, you know, because that yeah, is something. Huh that is has changed but highly coveted um to the point where yes uh target or you know other big box stores recreate these you know uh period looking umbrellas and you know the chairs that have the table already attached to it you know the <laughs> the those um rocking swings that are on a, a stable stand I would have loved to buy all those things uh, contemporary, but they were sold out because of the pandemic, you know, because everybody was living outdoors. So, (laughs) you know, all the outdoor furniture for the whole block and for everybody's backyard, that was my hardest thing to find. You know, we hooked up with people on Facebook and all kinds of just individuals who, you know, happened to have some stuff in their basement. This was like a um you know like like made it even more of like a, a family project you know people were into it you know yeah. it, it gave it gave the neighbors something to do hey i've got a perfect beach chair for you right. you know right 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 <laughs> right or i got listen my niece my niece wants to be an actress let's put her in a background you know exactly. <laughs> Oh, Beth, I love that. I just want to take a snippet of what you said before about being in the pandemic and everybody living outside. It sounds like the like the beginning of like a, a post apocalyptic movie, right? <laughs> and we're hunting squirrels and we're <laughs> yeah, and I'm hunting set decoration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sponsored by Budweiser in a metal bucket. You know? Right. right. <laughs> but I mean, but honestly, those umbrellas though from the '80s, those patio umbrellas, those things could withstand nuclear blasts. That that like polyurethane material. It was like the yeah. heaviest thing ever. <laughs> uh, we're getting a hurricane on the island today. It's okay. I got the umbrella. Right. We're, good. <laughs> we're good. Just, just tilt it. Just tilt yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah, gonna yeah. be good. Tilt it towards the wind. We'll yeah, right. bring it to the wind. We're good. Right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing burgers over here, so it's. <laughs> Uh, uh, we asked Ed this last year, and uh, so I have to ask you: Are you Team Clash or Team Sticks? I remember this was a big uh, controversy from yeah, season one. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, the right answer, Billy Joel. I mean, for me, I think that's always the right answer. But you know, I mean, you know, I won't say who, but there's someone in the cast who does not like Billy Joel, <gasps> and I will let her. I'll give you a little hint. I will let her be the one to tell you if you ever have her on the podcast. I don't know who you're having. But there is one person who was like Billy Joel. Billy Joel is my Lord and Savior. But <laughs> that's just, that's, 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 that's where I'll leave that. All right. It better not be Caitlin. You're going to break my heart if it is. I <laughs> will neither confirm nor deny that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is true behind the scenes, <laughs> yeah. info, people. <laughs> if there was one thing you could bring back from 1981 and make it common again, Sam, what would it be? Oh, manual muscle cars. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Manual muscle cars. That is. Uh, that's the. That's just the first thing that came to my mind. Like a like a late seventies GTO something like exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I I, I I drive stick. I just I miss them, man. I, I really do. I'm a big I'm a big car guy, and you'll definitely see that in season two. 
But uh, yeah, that's the one thing I'd bring back, man. We just gotta, we gotta get more analog, more analog. That's all I want. <laughs> driving stick, driving stick in a story is a brave man's game. Listen, my left ass cheek is on fire twenty four seven. I am disproportionate at this point. I love it. I love it. He's got clutch foot. He's got clutch yeah. foot. That's so funny. <laughs> Uh, Sam, you know, we're just about out of time with you. If people wanted to follow you on social media, where should they go check you out to keep up on all things Sam? Uh, on all things Sam, yeah, it's uh, everything is at Sam Bartholomew. So that's uh, spell it, spell it for us. Yeah, I'll give it. <laughs> so it's S A M and then V A R T H O L O M E O S. And we will have a link to that, too, in case people aren't great spellers. We'll put a link to it also in the, in the notes for the show. And also. you will love following Sam. He, he, <laughs> he gives up a lot of himself. I and mean, it's not just about the food. To a fault. No, I love <laughs> to it. To a fault. It, it, and it, stay- it cheers me. And stay tuned. Sam and I are going to start a new podcast. Uh, Queens boys driving around. We're just. Gonna- I love that. Oh my god! Yeah. What? Do we, Jerry Seinfeld's got to have all the fun. No, yeah, no, no, no. no, no. We're going to yeah. supplant Seinfeld. It's Queens be- boys in cars getting cannolis. That's what I say. Yeah, can- cannolis and bagels in cars. That's- <laughs> I, love I love it. Let's it, do it. it. I love it. I love it. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for your time. Uh, everyone, make sure you go check out season two of uh, Bridge of Tunnel, which premieres on Sunday, July 10th, only on Epics. Uh, good luck at Tribeca. I'm so excited. This is going to come out just a couple days before you guys go to tribeca and premiere so have the best time ever soak it up thank you so much awesome yeah thank you guys for having me again this was this was the best thank you sam thank you so much for joining us it was a pleasure having you on decorating the set we also want to say a big thank you to Epix PR for helping us coordinate all of our schedules and get Rosemary and Sam on the show today. It was fantastic and it was a pleasure to work with you guys. Beth, as we move forward, you're going to get Bridge and Tunnel at Tribeca. How amazing is that? Yes, we're all looking forward to an in-person get-together as the Tribeca Film Festival premieres season two of Bridge and Tunnel with a Q&A to follow with all of the co-stars and Ed Burns. It's going to be a, a great event. Beth, are they offering virtual passes this year? Do you know? I believe they are. So listeners, if you guys were interested in checking out that panel, you can watch it from home with your Tribeca virtual pass. Beth, I can't believe we're already wrapping up season three. This has been an amazing episode and an amazing season. I'm so happy that we're bringing more guests to our listeners and being able to answer more of their questions. And we're going to continue to do that in season four. It's been a total pleasure and I am so happy to continue to hear from fans. Please DM me, send me pictures, send me questions. You can reach me both on Twitter and on Instagram at Beth Kushnick. As Carolyn said, go back and listen to our earlier episodes. Next season, we're going to bring you more about decorating sets, both uh, on TV shows and films, as well as all kinds of projects for your home. Thank you guys so much for listening. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. It helps a lot in promotion of the show. Five stars, people. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home is an original Pod Clubhouse production. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.